0: Welcome Welcome to the Man Room. room. Welcome to the Man Room. Welcome into the Man Room Podcast. Thanks for joining us in the Man Room today. I am your host, Marcus Bridges. Make sure to check us out at the website www.themanroompodcast.com. Uh, you can also find us wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, the RSS feed. We've also got the Facebook Patreon set up, and uh, you can Gmail us, because that's how I say it, at gmail.com. And uh, just want to jump right into this one, because we're a little bit short on time today. I want to welcome a longtime friend and a former colleague of mine to the show. Welcome to the Man Room, comedian Chris Castles. Thanks for joining me, man. Hell yeah. I'm so pumped, dude. It's been a really long time. You and I actually, uh, we've only gotten to speak just over like Facebook messenger for what, almost a decade now since you moved out of here. Um, and it's so good to have you just back in the same kind of environment that we used to deal with each other in all the time.
1: Oh my God. Actually, I learned so much from being on the donkey show. Can I say the dog? Can I say
0: it? Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, I'm not afraid to give people background. The donkey show is a, is a radio show that uh, I did for about eight years. Uh, and uh, my colleagues, Tanner and Drew, who are up in Portland doing morning radio. Now were on that show for uh, 14 years between the two of them. So um, we used to have you on as a guest uh, weekly And uh, you were in some of our videos that we did, too. I mean, you worked with the donkey show a lot, which is one of the ways that you and I got hooked up. And you actually uh, were the reason that I ever stepped on a comedy stage. You were the first person to really kind of grab me and shake me and make me do it.
1: The only one in the the radio place that was worthy of a stage was Marcus. Oh, stop that.
0: Stop that. (laughs) You're going to make me blush once again. Uh, Sorry,
1: Drew. Just not your calling, bro. (laughs)
0: Well, I always had a lot of fun doing it, and uh, we'll get to that and plenty more because you and I just in having a little pre-show conversation on the phone yesterday figured out that we've got so much to talk about and so much to catch up on. And I'm really excited for that. Um, as you know, in the man room, one of the first things that we do is we crack open a cold adult beverage, uh, and that is just to help us keep loose and also uh, just enjoy the conversation a little bit more. Um, what are you drinking on today?
1: I got a Texas Shiner Bach, baby.
0: Some good and, breweries uh, out there in Texas for sure.
1: Oh my God, they got they have so much like German style beer. But I didn't know that about Texas. But Texas has like a lot of very specific beers to Texas cuz they have uh, very uh, Germanic roots. Okay. The, the state does.
0: I had no idea. See, that's total news to me. I had no idea that that was the case. And that's cool cuz I like to to jump into the German beers every now and then, the Doppelbock and the loggers and stuff like that. I like German beers.
1: Oh, it's all that's all they do out here. Yeah, they're very there's a lot of German they actually had there was a city in, where there's a language a german texan language um that is dying now it's pretty much gone but there's a specific dialect out here that's like german texas i don't know i've never <laughs> heard anyone speak it
0: that's kind of sounds like also, a party language i don't know why i just feel like that's a language you would hear at a party
1: no it's like two of the harshest accents ever <laughs> <laughs> german in texas um well, yeah, like the water parks are called Schlitterbahn. Okay. Out here, like our big water parks, which is German for water slide.
0: <laughs> Boy, it doesn't it sounds like it's American for something completely different, but I really do it's like it. <laughs> well, I am drinking, uh, of course, you're going to uh, represent Texas, which is where you're at right now. Joining us from Austin, I am going to represent Oregon, uh, even though I'm not in Bend. I am drinking from a brewery in Bend called Boneyard. Um, having myself an RPM IPA because that's what you're going to find out of me is, like, mostly it's IPAs. That's where the extra weight in the neck and the gut comes from.
1: Oh, yeah, those IPAs will get you.
0: (laughs) And, I mean, I couldn't be more Oregon unless I had a flannel shirt on with the beard and the IPA. Uh, But I love Boneyard. They actually – their, their lead brewmaster, when they started their company, um, had worked in the industry for like 20 years, and he had just slowly pieced together what they called a boneyard of old uh, equipment, and that's how they started, and now that they've expanded to being able to can and, and distribute as widely as they have, they only use that old boneyard equipment for, uh, seasonal special releases. So I think it's a real cool thing that they do at the brewery and that's, that's Oregon for you. Oregon's always been, you know, uh, kind of at the forefront of the, uh, micro brew empire and, um, always doing fun things over here. So there's never going to be a shortage of good beer to talk about, uh, in the man room. And I also have, uh, some buddies that'll join us. That'll talk a lot about scotch too, which I've never really gotten into, but I, I mean, I can get drunk on anything. Just put it in front of me.
1: Mm, I drank it last night, but that's because it was Burns Night, which if you don't know, is a Scottish holiday. Oh, I did not know that. My girlfriend, yeah, either did I, but I (laughs) date a British woman now, so now I know, and she she bought some scotch. And then I got into it a little early (laughs) and uh, was reminded of some conversations I had last night. Oh, okay.
0: Those are never the best ones to be reminded about, the ones you don't remember.
1: They were pleasant conversations. It just, it worries me that I don't remember them.
0: (laughs) Scotch will do that to you, man. So uh, let's catch up a little bit. I mean, obviously, we're both drinking, so that's good. Um, We talked about a little bit about how uh, we knew each other. Very first show I ever did, uh, stand-up comedy, I performed with you, uh, Christine Levine, Andy Andrist in uh, the basement of Diablo's here in Eugene, Oregon, which is no longer there, by the way. It's a Thai food restaurant. And uh, it was one of the the institutions in the Eugene nightlife, and I was just really sad to see it go. Um, but that started kind of a spree of, of five or six years for me of doing some shows, being on stage, being fortunate enough to open for people like Brian Posehn. And, and um, you know, just I, like I said, I really I, I don't ever think about this much, and I apologize for that, but I have you to thank for that because um, I, I was so nervous, and I still am. Like, it's really weird to me that stand-up is one of those things that, I just always get that weird fear right before I step on stage, regardless of how successful or bad the bits have been. Um, do you feel that still as a stand-up, or are you past that stage in your career because you do a lot? I mean, dude, you've performed how many thousands of shows at this point in your career?
1: I think like thousands of shows, and I don't really have a career to speak of, but <laughs> we can call it that. Uh, yeah. Um, no. Yeah, I still get super nervous. I. I think it's a good thing. I think that's part of it is that you just, and people feel that way about other things they do, whether they fly planes or whatever, or whatever the thing is you do where you're, adre- it's adrenaline. And, uh, I think that that's the thing that I've learned is it doesn't go away. I just, and I learn how to deal with it, but yeah. I opened up for Brett Ernest. He is a comic from Jersey. He's in the Cobra Kai show. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you watch Cobra Kai. I don't. So.
0: I, I haven't seen it, but it seems to be all the all the rage right now. So I'll probably get into it. I, I did enjoy me some Mr. Miyagi Karate Kid movies back in the day. So
1: yeah. So so he he came here and uh, I opened for him, and I got really nervous for that. But that's that's why I did good. Right. I had a good show because you know he showed up. All the comics were wanting to meet him, and I just said, "Hey, what's up?" Hey, and then I just paced back and forth, and he's been doing it for twenty years, so he recognized that I was preparing. So he left me alone, and uh, and then I did well because I like was my head was in it, and that's what you have to do. But yeah, you're you're always super funny, man. That's great that you did that show at. um, with Andy Anders, Christine Levine, that's the first time you performed.
0: That was in you, yeah. That was the first time I performed, awesome. and I feel like I really was sharing the stage with some people that I had absolutely no business being there next to. But it was a lot of fun. I still remember it like it was yesterday. So, and I actually found some footage of it on uh, on an old camcorder of mine. And if I can ever afford to get the piece of equipment that allows me to transfer mini DV cassette tapes to like oh, a digital yeah. format, I will definitely put it out there because it's terrible. A lot of the jokes are cringy. I mean, it, it took place in like 07 or 08 or something like that. So you oh could, Oh it could, that long ago? It's been clo- maybe 09. But, no, no, but
1: still, I know that I performed in those years. It's just like, wow, that's so long ago.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, it was even before you really started coming on the show as a regular, on our radio show that we did. I mean, this was, I, I think I had, I had met you maybe outside of, like, the Black Forest or something like that after an after a local band show or something. I don't even really remember. What I do I know remember. is that most of the places that we used to do this stuff are closed down now. Um, Taylor's, uh, which yeah. well, we used to do I, a... I oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Black... Black Forest is gone, I knew that. Diablos, I mean, that's the first place I performed stand-up, I think ever. Black Forest or Diablos. But uh, I'm not like sub- I'm not like sad about Diablo's
0: clothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that place was such a
1: hole. I performed there so much, both downstairs and upstairs. But, man, that was such a C-minus bar.
0: Yeah, it was. I had a punk rock band that played some shows there, too. And it was literally good for nothing but but not hearing anything for the rest of the night because it was kind of like playing inside of a tin can. And, you know, look, props to the people that had it. Like I said, it was kind of an institution in Eugene. If you didn't know or hadn't been to Diablos, you kind of, I would look at you with a side eye. Like, look, I know it's not the place I'm going to recommend, but why haven't you been there? Will they not let you in, you know? Oh, God. I
1: remember when I first started doing stand-up in Eugene, that was the only show in town, and it was every other Saturday. It was a showcase that Leanne Joshua Bryant, who was teaching comedy, (laughs) would charge $5 a head for you to see her students perform. And so then I would go bug her and be like, hey, can I perform? And then she would let me, and then I was like beginning... You know, I just started, but uh, so I would always get like letters for like my rape jokes and stuff because they were just bad, bad (laughs) taste jokes. But uh, but anyway, that was the only game. There was no open mics. It was the only show you could do, which was every other Saturday. That's and now it's totally. I mean, now I mean, COVID has changed everything. But pre-COVID, there was like a mic every night, at least one.
0: I mean, yeah, lots of really good local comedians here in town that are are dedicated to. Um, having that, that comedy scene in Eugene, which has been lacking for, for a while now. I mean, obviously COVID really, really capped it off, but it's been lacking for a while just because, uh, you know, the, the people that are out there doing it a lot of times are, they're out there working a full-time job too, and, and they're trying to support a family and it's, uh, you know, open mics, when you're doing six of those a week, I imagine it gets a little bit uh, taxing. You know, you're staying up late, trying to get up early, go work a job, then stay up late again to do a Wednesday open mic. Um, it can't be easy, man, and it's hard to sustain it. And what you need is good comedians, but you also need the ability to perform in front of an audience, which they haven't had. So No, well, that
1: the other problem is on any smaller market stand-up scene is that you're not rubbing shoulders with um, – the, the the talent line, and this isn't to say anything about the comics in Eugene. I don't know. I haven't been there, but I know this is true about smaller markets, is that you're not you're not really your bar is set in an odd space, and so if you don't have anyone who's really great, then you don't then you're not pushing to that level. So I know for myself that when I moved here to Austin, the the talent pool is larger, and it forced me to realize and it took years to realize oh i'm bad at this <laughs> and it's not that i was necessarily like horrible i just i um was in that small that smaller atmosphere and i wasn't able to to grow anymore
0: sure and, 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 then, and then, we yeah. talked about that you kind of being maxed out in eugene and and how how did that affect your move to texas and and like when you when you finally learned that like Did you feel yourself become like a better comedian? Did you write better? Was your process different? How did you change from Eugene to Austin was something I actually had written down right here to ask you. So I'm glad that you, you got us there.
1: Yeah. Well, I had to become a better person (laughs) Was part (laughs) of it I was a real garbage person. And it took, um, it took years. And I'm not saying that I'm like a perfect person now, but there was just a lot of like character flaws and things that I really had to work on. And, comedy was helpful in me growing, but as I grew as a person, I got a lot better. I would say that in the last couple of years, I've really started to feel like coming into my stride as a performer.
0: That's awesome. And especially now that Austin seems to be the place that a comedy is, is literally moving to Austin right now. We talked about it on the it's phone insane. a little bit yesterday. Um, you know, Joe Rogan's already there, and he's not as as much into the comedy scene as some of these other names like Dave Chappelle and Tom Segura, and uh, the list goes on. Um,
1: yeah, but Rogan's a heavyweight in terms of, like, he's industry. Yes, he's, you know, entertainment he's in general. Of, he's one of the, uh, yeah, I mean, whether you like his stand-up or not, Uh, he's a big part of stand-up comedy and a big influence on it.
0: Yep, and from what it sounds like, I listen to his podcast a lot because he has a lot of interesting people on there. And it sounds to me like he's going to open a club pretty soon that he wants to be uh, in effect like the Comedy Store was in L.A., where all those big names are basically filling out the open mics each night. And if that comes to fruition, how cool would that be to have that planted right in your lap? Because I'm sure you would be able to get in there.
1: Um. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so the he's. I've heard he's going to open like a ranch, so that the it'll be like an outdoor open thing, so that it will be. It. Essentially, if this COVID thing or whatever new thing they they hoist upon us uh, <laughs> creates new rules and stuff, he's trying to be ahead of that. But mm-hmm. they already kind of have. This kill Tony's at Antone's, which is downtown, and then they have been doing. They're working together with La- uh, big Laugh Network or something like that, and they're running uh, shows at the Vulcan because Ron White lives here. So then you have, so like Brian Redband, who runs the Joe Rogan Experience or he he was one of the people that started it and he works with Tony Hinchcliffe to do Kill Tony. Uh, he's been doing shows there and he bring, he's been bringing Tony Hinchcliffe, Joe Rogan, Ron White, and I mean, dude, I've been in, I've performed at the open mic there. It's like a small room.
0: Really? Where, like,
1: yeah, like if you there's no there's no uh, seat that's more than a hundred uh, feet from the stage. I mean, the stage is just right there. So no matter where you're sitting, you're like right up close to these performers. Um, I haven't seen Rogan, but I I did a show and after my set, they called up the next comic and it was Tony Hinchcliffe. I was like, oh shit, and uh, I was like, oh good. It wasn't just this group of strangers that watched me bomb a good comic watched me do it too <laughs> <laughs> but then i saw him struggle in the same room and i was like he, i mean he did way better obviously but he uh it, it validified it and that's the thing i was like i had performed and felt like oh i don't like my set this was a tough room and then he went up and he struggled and i watched him go through it he handled it differently and i was like instantly like oh it wasn't just me look, this, this experienced, more experienced comic than me is also struggling. So I, I was like, okay, I felt better. And that's what I, that kind of speaks to what I was saying. When you're around that other talent, you learn so much more.
0: Sure. Yeah, man. In, in tough crowds are just that they're almost impossible to figure out when you're kind of not, if you can't separate from yourself a little bit and pull back and kind of see it for what it is because look everybody that that's used to being on stage or hosting or anything like that you get the immediate feel right in the middle of your chest of whether or not this crowd is is into you or into it or into whatever's going on and then a lot of times that tends to kind of direct your show a little bit if you let it in if you let it engulf you and and you work too oh, yeah. hard on the crowd or you think too much about your material and then you're you're just digging yourself a hole um, but we've all been there, man, and, and that's tough rooms, tough people. To, I mean, we used to do a gong show every Monday night at a at a college bar, like a that college was grind time the bar show. <laughs> on and, the planet, and dude. it went on for like years. I mean, it was is uh, something that we did at this college bar, which, by the way, they lost their liquor license, which shouldn't surprise anybody.
1: Well, I heard about. I remember hearing about that.
0: Yeah, and it's it then it became much worse than what it was, where there was like bartenders slipping Mickeys to chicks and. And, and they were turning around security cameras, and, like, it just wasn't a good situation. But we would go in there on a Monday when there was nobody but other comedians and maybe a couple really, really drunk college chicks and, I mean, try to tell jokes to other comedians when nobody else in the place is listening, and sometimes they would leave the TV on in the background so you're performing in front of Monday Night Football.
1: It's just... Classic organ show stuff there.
0: <laughs> so that's So that's another thing I was going to ask. How do the crowds stack up? Because... You know, in in Oregon, I've had drunk people stand up and yell stuff at me. I've had, um, you know, what clearly seemed to be high people wandering off the street and have a little bit of a manic episode. Um, do you see the same stuff in Texas? Is it because you're in a in a place like Austin, which is kind of notorious for live performance and shows? Uh, is, is are the crowds better, more well behaved, or is it kind of the same across the board?
1: Um, it's uh, it's kind of the same. I mean, you're gonna get the same stuff. Um uh the thing is actually really interesting to watch all these la comics come out here and i think that they're not austin even though it's a up-and-coming city and it's a happening spot it's still not like a big city mm-hmm. uh, so the crowds are it's not like la where everyone's trained and they know the deal in la people go to shows they know the deal and so they're great crowds in la cuz especially cuz like we don't anyone can drop in and all that. I mean, people are it's a culture there. Mm-hmm. Comedy is part of the culture in that city. Uh so Austin is a little you get a you're rolling the dice at any show, any drunk, you know, oil money, redneck can be there and be like this is my fucking I own this fucking city. You know, like there's there's a lot of that. Um but then also I mean, for the most part it it's good. Uh, a lot of the shows are good. But then um if you go up north for example, uh, in North Austin, or as I call it, South Dallas, um, <laughs> you go to a bar, man, and it, I feel like I'm right back in Springfield. Oh, yeah? No bullshit. I performed at an all-female show last week. I hosted for an all-female show last minute. They called me in, and it was at a bar that still allowed smoking. So I was like, in the future and the past at the same time, bro. <laughs> and uh, But it was crazy. It felt like I was just in a bar in Springfield. Right. So, so that's see, still a thing. Rural, rural rooms are just—that's just a national thing, right? Yeah. As soon as you, and and as soon as you get out of Austin, like fifteen minutes, twenty minutes out of Austin, you're in fucking Texas,
0: right? Where and, there's actually and, like an oil rig you see pumping in a field, and like a tumbleweed <laughs> blows by. It's like Texas. <laughs> well, it's
1: also just very conservative. So, uh, for example, I host a show. Every other Saturday, right now, I produce it, and uh, it's in Lakeway, which is the, the west side of Texas, west side of Austin. It's where a lot of the richer people live. Um, but it is that show is so funny. It's in a sports bar, uh, Castro's Barn Grill. If you're out in Austin, check it out. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, but but if you make a joke about coronavirus there that acknowledges that it as a real thing, they're <laughs> going to sit there silently with their arms crossed. If you make fun of wearing masks, they will fucking be like, yeah, because yeah, none of them are fucking wearing masks, and or they don't give a shit. They're doing it because they're told to, and they don't, you know. So it's crazy. It's very conservative. Texas is very conservative.
0: It's amazing to me, and and you know, without getting overly political on this program because it's not something I want to do on this podcast. But I've always kind of Come found it, what do you think? Let's <laughs> your opinion. I've always found think? it a little bit funny that people can can subscribe to like such, uh, you know, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, and, and completely let that like take over their lives and live their life only by that code rather than just doing whatever the fuck you want in a free country, which is, oh it's, I feel like it's really undersold. Like, no, you don't have to do what they're saying. You can do whatever the fuck you want. It's really fun. You should try it.
1: There was this, uh, comic, Ariel Norman, a very funny comic here in Austin. And, uh, she is. She, all of her act is very... A lot of her act is about calling out people's uh, prejudices. She's a lesbian woman. She's out. She, she talks about gender. She does podcasts about gender politics and all that. Anyway, that being said, she had performed. And people will either really love her or they fucking won't. And uh, after the set, someone was like, hey, after the show, someone was like, hey, great show. I thought everyone was good except for that one, you know, that one comic and I remember it was – I told that person, I was like, hey. I was like, why? Is it because they're li- she's liberal? And she's all, yeah. And I was like, hey, if you're fucking American, then you should be fucking stoked that that she performed. You should be fucking stoked that you went out to a show in your own town where someone had a completely different idea than yours. And, uh, and because that's what fucking being an American is, is fucking people saying – different things. And that you should be stoked about that. And I remember seeing her slow, conservative fucking wheels going. She's all like, Oh, wait a minute. And it's like, yeah, being an American isn't about being like, this is my side. And anyone who doesn't believe in it's an idiot. It's like, no, you get to think and feel how you want. And you should be excited when you meet other people who feel completely differently and feel liberated too express themselves even if you disagree
0: with them and comedy to a little bit lesser of an extent is the same way it's people going out and expressing their thoughts feelings you know uh, reactions in in their own way in their own voice on the stage by themselves and and really putting themselves out there um you know you're all, people are always trying to push the boundaries in comedy or say something that's never been said before or say it a different way. And um, that's one of the things I really like about it is it, I do feel like it's one of those professions, if you you know, want to call it that for me, I haven't been on stage in God knows how long, but it's one of those things that pushes you to always try to be better. And it's one of the reasons I, I was often criticized for this. and I don't want to get in too much to my process because like I said, it's non-existent, but for that every monday night gong show that we used to do i used to have new material every monday night i would never oh, try yeah, the I same remember. thing twice and you guys that you just rolled your eyes at me right now people that have like a true writing process look at me like i was batshit crazy when i tell them that every monday i just wanted to have something new because oh, you really no. should be going to a gong show kind of working <laughs> on good material you know
1: oh no you especially yeah you should always be doing stuff stuff that's new um I mean, and that's getting way into the stand-up process, but uh, I think it's true with art in general. You should be pushing yourself to try new things, and um, it's just more fun. It's super fun when you say something new and it feels risky. You know, you're like, "Oh, is this gonna work or not?" But uh, I think that the people that are constantly doing new stuff are the ones who, uh, who are I find more interesting. Yeah, but then, but then again, to be fair to the process, if you're working on a bit or you're working on a set, then then it's helpful to repeat it and do it. So, like you said, everyone's process is is different.
0: Yeah, and for me it was kind of weird because, you know, the, the gong show was attached to the radio show, and so I sort of felt like each, each week we were going out there trying to, to produce a product that was not the same as last week and that from in just because i was involved in it from the radio side i think is one of the reasons i felt like that i didn't want to the same people to come out every week and hear me do the same joke for like 5 weeks that know? was a
1: big part of it too i feel like i also did new material all the time cuz i was doing the same rooms but dude i remember every time you bring up the gong show i keep wanting to to bring up how uh Oh man, so many stories come up. But I just remember one time it was super packed and most of the people that were there were there for the show to end so that they could dance or try and drug some young girl. And so uh, it, it was just packed with all these kids. No one was listening. I just remember for like 15 minutes, I just insulted them. All of them. I was just like, you look like a fucking cunt. Look at you. I bet you're not going to fuck him, are you? You're just here to get his free drink. And, I, and no one, like, there was a few people that, like, were listening and laughing. For the most part, the whole crowd is ignoring me. And, uh, oh, man, that, that is horrible. Some of the worst sets I've ever had were at that show. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I had a uh, actually and now that you've broken the ice on that word, I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I have a story that comes to mind from uh, from that bar as well, where uh, one of the comics that was up right before me had a little bit of a, a going back and forth with this woman. And they were kind of, you know, she was yelling at them from the bar and the comic was getting back in her face and it kind of ended that guy's set and they called me up. And I just kind of casually said, like, all right, so we're going to go ahead and hope that nothing like that happens during my set. And she was still standing at the bar. And she she looked up at me and she goes, so what? you going to call me a cunt? And I said, you said it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I personally identify as a cunt because I date a British person and they call me it enough that.
0: It's in your it's vocabulary like I'm now. Owning it at
1: this point, so I can say "cunt."
0: <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that. Use that as a good segue. Um, I know that things have, have uh, definitely changed in your life since you moved to Austin. You told me yesterday that you are a homeowner, and uh, as a first-time homeowner myself, I'll say congratulations. Um, totally do. don't think that I'm cut out for it, even though I like it. I just don't really know what to do when stuff breaks, but I'm trying to learn that. How's uh, how's homeownership treating you?
1: Well, well, let me just back up, okay? Because that was a private conversation, and I might have overstated. I'm when I say I'm a homeowner, I, my girlfriend owns the house, so I'm actually kind of a renter. And uh, <laughs> but, so, like, I, I like to tell people, I'm basically just one whiskey fueled uh, conversation about the legalization of sex work in America, away from being homeless.
0: <laughs> Well, all right, that that works, and I'm sorry if I if I kind of surprised you with that one, but as you can tell, no, yesterday not, when- you know, I was
1: just joking. I was joking, but I had, no, I love it, man, and uh, I mean, we de- we definitely we both own it, and um, I mean, she owns it. It's all I mean, I just can't fuck up, and um, uh, but I actually I like it. Bring my dad was a my dad is a millwright or was a millwright, um, <clears throat> so I learned a lot of handy stuff when I was younger. I just saw how much back problems he had and was like, I'm never going to do real work. I don't want to do that kind of work, but I did learn a lot and I find that that has kind of started to come back up. And um, man, we turned shit. We turned the garage into a music studio. We, my friend came, I had some contractors obviously help, but we built a big awning over for a carport. Um, We built um, a deck, like a back deck area. Um, I've put up a structure in my backyard that's going to be a storage unit. It's a lot of work. I'm still, I'm still working on it, but it's really kind of brought out my handy side. Um, I'm not that I'm like super great at it, but I, uh, yeah, I understand sometimes it's like scary, but I can I'm kind of into it, dude. I like all the tasks that come with homeownership and we have an acre and a quarter and we're backed up to a Creek. So I also just like have like land management cutting down. Th- we have like 120 trees or something like that. Wow. So I'm all like snipping and like i got a fucking riding lawnmower
0: dude i was like dude the day i got a riding lawnmower i
1: was like dude i could dig this like fucking dad life shit bro
0: just have a complete just a complete shift in your life's work right there and just get get to mowing lawns
1: (laughs) dude it was the best it's got a cup holder in it dude. you know how pumped i was the first time i mowed my lawn with a beer i was like this is tight dude
0: oh man that's funny you know i have riding lawnmowers for me i have a little bit of a It's almost a little bit of like a mild trauma, and I'll tell you why. So I started mowing my parents' lawn when I was like 8 as a kid. And from the time that I was 8 till the time I was 18, it was my job once a week, regardless of how much I bitched or anything. I just had to do it. And the lawn also grew by about fourfold over that time where my dad just kept taking out shit and putting grass there and taking out more shit and putting more grass. And I just, I mean, I was just mowing and I had this push mower. We lived on a hill with a big incline. And so I was lugging this thing up the hill and I'm not kidding you. I graduated call or I graduated high school, you know, in June, late May, whenever it is. And when I was out, getting ready to come down to Eugene and go to the university of Oregon for college. My dad went out and bought himself a riding lawnmower because he didn't have his little, his little bitch to do it ever again. And so I've always kind of like, I still have the push mower and I feel like I do it to keep myself honest. Cause I know how mad it made me when I saw the luxury that was the riding mower.
1: I completely understand, dude. I used to have, I, I grew up on a 65 acre farm out in pleasant Hill and, uh, to divide the property, they had to, to put in all these Christmas trees, 35,000 to be exact. And so every summer, my brother and sister and I would have to mow on a P it was like a, uh, four wheeler with a PTO. We would have to like mow in between all of the trees and then weedy in between them, individual, all 35,000. Oh my God, I- dude. I did that like four summers.
0: Oh my not God.
1: even God. So I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of
0: weed eaters as a result. <laughs> yeah, I got some weird trauma with weed eaters, too. My dad used when I was super young and, you know, eight or nine, he didn't trust me with the weed eater. He would he would go out and edge the lawn and then he would have me follow up and mow it. And one time I was just walking through the property, you know, like 50 yards away from him. And a big, like, golf ball-sized rock hit me right in the calf. And, you know, it's like a 9, 10-year-old just takes you out. And you think you're going to bleed to death right there on the pavement. And... He, he, the weed whacker had caught that thing and flung that rock that far and hit me. And it, like for two, three years, even though my dad never laid a finger on me, never did anything like that, I swore that he was mad at me and he threw that rock. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've hit myself in the face with the rock while weed eating. And you're like, who am I mad at? Yeah. I'm mad, but who am I mad at? Yeah. This inanimate
0: object? That's obviously going to throw shit into the air at high speed. Like, I mean, it's built to do that. So, oh, man. Oh, my God. So um, what else is going on in your life, man? I'm going to be pretty vague here, but I think you know uh, kind of where I'm where I'm going right now. You got the stand-up yeah. thing. You got to work. You told me about something else on the phone that I'm kind of just going to let you, uh, you talk to us yeah. about because – i will be honest, that's the only thing I've thought about since we've talked yesterday and I just uh I
1: know. Well it's a good thing you're sitting down. So um all right, so uh well first off, I don't have to go to work now. I just got a text.
0: Uh, oh so we're open so ended. Nice. We're golden. Nice.
1: Um but uh so you want the good news or the bad news first?
0: oh man i hate it when people ask that because you normally want i see i'm normally the person that will take the bad news first because then i get to leave with a good thought but sometimes if the bad news is way worse it just supersedes the good news anyway so
1: i'm gonna start with the good news okay okay? all right good news is i found a lump on my rib cage and i don't have health insurance
0: that's good news
1: yeah, that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is I have a third-class felony possession of more than five and less than 50 pounds of marijuana in a small county in West Texas. Um, so I'm facing two to ten years in prison.
0: Oh, my God, Chris. What the fuck? I forgot about Texas and the way that they treat marijuana. Is it? Holy so shit. So hopefully, hopefully the lump is
1: cancer. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> And then I could just
0: be dead. Oh God! Don't say that. Don't put those ideas out there. So, uh, um, I I want to hesitate to ask too many questions here because I know that obviously with this being pending, you're you're kind of limited as to as to where you can go. But uh, two to two to ten years. But you have a clean record in Texas, right?
1: Yeah, I am. Uh, I've never been charged with any. I've I've no no criminal record to speak of.
0: Right. So maybe you get off with like a slap on the wrist. Seeing is like, I mean, look the the international um, standpoint on cannabis is changing. Same thing with the with the national standpoint. I mean, I feel like Texas, it, it's not going to be. It definitely wasn't going to be one of the first few states to legalize or decriminalize. But I, I can't wrap it my head around it being be last. The last.
1: It'll probably be the last.
0: You think so? Wow. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Texas
1: likes being Texas.
0: Yeah, that's true. Do they know how much more fun they could have if they were Texas with weed? I mean, they're
1: they're already having fun. It's not a, it's, you know, it's a racket, man. I mean, the criminal justice system is a institution and they make money off convictions. And that's, that's it. It's cops and robbers, baby.
0: It's ridiculous yeah, because, I mean, you, like you're talking about, you know, I worked at a dispensary. i worked in the cannabis industry in Oregon for the last five years of my life. And five pounds, so five to 50 pounds to me is like, well, are you going to put that in the van or can you fit that in the back of your car?
1: You know, it's funny because uh, when they pulled me over, they were like, so do you have any more? Or after they discovered it, they were like, do you have any more on you or in you? Yeah. And I was like, officer, you found 46 pounds of marijuana in the trunk of my car. Do you think I have, like, a joint in my asshole? Because <laughs> <laughs> I heard how boring jail is? What
0: the fuck? This is I my personal use stash.
1: <laughs> I was oh, like, hey, man. man, I got another one. I think I got another pound in my balls, but you're going to have to suck it out through my dick. <laughs> no, I didn't say that.
0: Thank God, because I, I hear they I get a little bit heavy-handed on you in Texas, too. They might beat uh, you in the street, right? scary,
1: dude. I mean, that, that, uh, that tro- it was a state trooper. He was fucking, he was out. He was out for blood. It was also the day after Trump lost.
0: Okay, so so tensions were high in Texas.
1: Oh, dude the the jailers were like, "Oh man, we're getting a lot of people in today." (laughs) I was like, "You motherfuckers!" (laughs) All those fucking dudes with ponytails. I mean, I was definitely profiled as a Biden supporter, and uh, and uh, which I'm not. I don't support. I've never supported any president, but uh, uh, yeah, I was profiled for sure. They violated my Fourth Amendment rights. And um, I have a nice case against it. And, I mean, fingers crossed with the legal team I have, it could be dismissed. I mean, that, that is the best case scenario is that it's
0: dismissed. Sure. Well, I, ah. I'm pulling for you, dude, because that that is a big issue and, and it's smart for people to know their rights. Like if you're listening to this and, and Chris mentions they violated your Fourth Amendment his Fourth Amendment right and you just don't have any clue what that is. Go do yourself a favor and study it, because you can save yourself from spending a lot of time in jail or prison that you don't deserve by understanding exactly what your rights as an American citizen are. And there's not very many people that do.
1: Yeah, I mean, the main thing is, if you're listening and uh, you don't know, is first off, never admit to anything, Uh, even if they're like, hey, do you know why I pulled you over? The answer is no. Um, And let them tell you because right there everything you're saying is going against you so so it's best to never admit anything um, and then also um, don't get out of the car if they ask you to which I did and um, I mean he said he smelled marijuana but he didn't he smelled fear and yeah. uh, he uh, he was he was smart he was an intuitive dude and and uh, yeah he knew what he was doing he knew he's gonna find
0: something well and, and he's just uh, he, he's just he waiting like a for little it. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, he's just waiting for you to incriminate yourself. And that's that, you know, we call it intuitive, but really it's like through that fear, you almost get like a little bit of truth serum in you where you're like, maybe if I'm honest with this guy, he'll take it easy on me, you know, and and that's
1: trying to be amicable and like nice, but it didn't matter. He was very like, it was, it was an intense situation. Let's just say that. (laughs) Um, Another funny thing about it or that I thought was funny. Cause even in the moment, like I'm a pretty affable person and I would, I would even go as far to say I'm pretty adaptable. Um, so even in a situation like that, I can keep my cool and not lose my head. Um, so I was being very cool and then talking to the other officer while he searched my car, we were just talking about the wind cause it was a windy day. And, uh, then I remember at one point when they got in the trunk And then he opened up one of the duffel bags. I just turned to the other officer and I go, all right, man, you can go ahead and put those cuffs on me now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You gotta have, you gotta have yourself a little tagline with these experiences, right? Or they just don't sit in the memory quite as well.
1: Um, I mean, that's, that Uh, sucks. I've never been to jail before. So it was, you know, it's an experience,
0: (laughs) (laughs) right? It is an experience and it sucks that that's what it was for. Like I, I gotta be honest with you, I didn't even think about that because What did you think? What were
1: you thinking? Child molestation? What were you thinking?
0: I honestly figured that you probably popped off at a mic and and you and somebody tossed a swing at you and you decked them. That's what I thought. You know, simple assault or something like that, you know?
1: (laughs) Love that you
0: thought that. <laughs> I didn't, I mean, I don't know you as a fighter or, or a, a really even a, you know, somebody that likes a uh, confrontation, but I've also seen you get a few pops in you and then, you know, every comedian does it. You get a little bit toasted you seen on stage.
1: Oh, you, you've, seen, you've seen me be like a dick to people.
0: Right. Where it's like you hear it's come out of somebody that, you know, and you're like, wow, they're either a little bit drunk or something really pissed them off. Right. Right. Then. And they said that thing and I hope they don't get punched mm-hmm. for it. You know, um, that's kind of what I figured. Cause I, look, I figured also you being, you fit in very well in Eugene with your comedy. And I thought maybe because Texas be Texas that maybe somebody down there might've had, you know, like you said about the mass or about COVID or something, they might've oh, taken dear. offense to some of your comedy and, and maybe you You're had to get real. real, you know? Well, when,
1: when I first started going out and doing standup again, um, uh, after the fir- initial lockdown, um, you know, it was rusty. Everyone was rusty, and the scene completely changed. It's so weird. I didn't know any of the comics. The open mics were filled with all these people from other towns. None of the comics that used to be out were out. It was like this whole like dystopian vibe. And uh, one of the the very first showcase I did was fucking packed up in Georgetown, where they don't give a fuck <laughs> about the um, about all this stuff, right? So it's like pretty big bar. I would say there's a hundred people in there, maybe a little less. Um, but packed and they were, I mean, people were ready to be entertained. You know, this was like some of the first shows happening, maybe in the country. I don't know. Right. And um, so I go up there and man, I was having a great set cause I, I was kind of unloading. It was like, I'd been edging, you know, for months <laughs> and I finally just get to blow my comedy load. And, uh, but this is like a very conservative part of, like I said, South Dallas, it's a conservative part of Austin. And, um, one of the jokes I made was, I said, you know, Confederate flags. You know, I don't know how you guys feel. Like, I personally don't care. If you have a Confederate flag, that's fine. I don't care. But if we're going to be taking down these symbols of oppression, um, then let's go all the way. I was like, how about the Walmart flag? I go, well, do you think that's a sun on there? No, that's the Asian, that's the, the asshole of the Asian child you're fucking every time you buy something made in China. <laughs> Jesus And then, but then they all like cheered for that because for the wrong reasons, probably. Like, oh yeah, fuck Asians or whatever. And then I go, I go, oh, I could take it one step further. And then I knew I shouldn't say this, but man, Marcus, I love saying things I know I shouldn't say.
0: That's why I thought maybe you punched somebody.
1: No, (laughs) well, dude, I got, I got lucky. I didn't get beat up this night. Um, I then went and said, why don't we go ahead and take down the American flag?
0: Oh yeah. And that's that's not a Texas quote.
1: Not like that. Uh, it went into the whole bar just started yelling. Uh, the only people that were into it, the owner was a Mexican woman. And then there was some other Latin people there that were like, looking at me like, yep. And I, so then I when and then two families, two tables, like families got up and left. Wow. And, uh, it was like a bar fight. I ruined the show. The rest of the show, I felt so bad for the headliner. He was all talking. He's like, this is my first time doing 30 minutes, man. I'm so pumped. And I was like, right <laughs> on, man. It's going to be a good time. And then I just went and just basically started a bar fight. And uh, You just mushroom-stamped you mushroom stamped his
0: first ever headlining gig.
1: It was horrible, dude. The rest of my set, I just kept yelling about like all of the atrocities we've committed as a country in Central and South America and all of our foreign policy and how our standard of living is only good at the expense of the rest of the world's misery and like all this stuff. And <laughs> like I said, I had a few Latin people being like, yep, totally. I don't know if it's that funny or not, but you're saying a lot of truth right. <laughs> Anyway, I haven't repeated that joke since then.
0: Yeah, time and setting, I'm sure, right? Come on back to Portland and tell it, and I'm sure you'll get swept up in the uh, in the riots that are burning down the city every night. They'll love you yeah, for that riot, shit. Yeah, they riot at my show, but for <laughs> different reasons. Like, fuck
1: out what he said. Burn this bar down.
0: Yeah, it's, but, it's, yeah, uh, it's real, that's no, for sure. I,
1: for the most part, man, I would say I've become much less about trying to upset people than I was before. I think that was part of the stand-up thing was like, yeah, I want to say something challenges everyone. And, and now I'm like, if I'm going to do that, I, I, my intention or my, like my intention is to be funny and it used to be more to like push buttons. Maybe mm-hmm. I feel like I'm less on that. I, I do that less.
0: Sure. Well, I, I think that, you know, comedians appreciate that button pushing nature of you, but, the, but for the, the crowd at large that aren't comedians, they probably, uh, they don't quite understand that concept of, of that kind of comedy, like that Avenue of, of being a stand up comedian is, is a tough one. And there are people out there that master it, do it really well. Um, but you know, I think that it's a lot like insult comedy to me. It's like, man, that's a tough lane anymore, you know, just to, cause everybody's buttons are already pushed. Everybody's already insulted. Everybody's already offended. Like when you come to the show with that, it's hard to further that because it's already at a fever pitch just thanks to the last year, you know? It has,
1: Yeah, it has to be really funny. I mean, I still push buttons. I like doing that, but it has to be the end goal or the, it ultimately just has to be very funny or it's not, it's not fun.
0: Which I'm, I'm hoping people understand with this podcast. If it's not funny, it's not going to be fun. So um, you better <laughs> fucking laugh at it. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, because otherwise I don't think anything's off limits as long as your intention is to be funny.
0: So, um, while we were on the subject, a little bit of weed, I was, I was going to ask about, you know, fighting the good fight up there in Texas, and it, how hard was it to get your first, uh, your first connect down there with uh, the attitude? Were you, like, super nervous to go out and try to find a, a, a dime bag, or were you already oh, well don't... enough connected? Do you remember Bardo?
1: Did you ever meet Bardo?
0: I remember the name. I really do for some reason.
1: So, well, he he was he performed. So the uh, the person I moved with down here was I met him at my open mic at the green room in Austin or in uh, Eugene. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I moved with him. So he had access, but it definitely was a different vibe because, you know, Eugene's culture, Oregon's culture. It wasn't legal when I left. It wasn't recreational when I had left. Right. Just, uh, so- just
0: medicinally, but barely even medicinally decriminalized. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, and then it just, then I go back and it's like this, it's like, what the fuck is going on? There's like people living in bongs and shit. And I'm just like, <laughs> Everywhere I go, people are just like pulling weed out in the street. And it's like, okay, I get it. That's legal. But like, do you have to carry it around in jars in your pocket? <laughs> like, it was crazy. It blew my, every time I visited Oregon, it would blow my mind how legal it is there. Yeah. Which, which then makes it seem like crazy that I'm in the trouble I'm in now. Right. You know, it's like, what? This is like basic, if I would have been pulled over, a stayed over, it would have been like kind of selling. You know, it's like, what what are we talking about here? But um,
0: it is it really blows me away that that is a thing still. I mean, we got to hope for um, that that federal legalization and just hope that whenever it does come down from a federal level. And look, I've got I've got really high hopes for it. I'm super high on the fact that maybe Biden in this administration, because they're going to be doing so many things that, you um, you know they they want the good public opinion. They want those they want those polls up. They want people to their approval ratings to be up. Maybe that's something that they decide to do. Maybe they federally legalize cannabis finally. I don't know. I can only hope. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, real quick, Chris, because I gotta hit the head and I need to get uh, another uh, beer, real quick. So stand by. Okay, let's do it. Stay, Stay tuned, tuned while we grab a, grab a refill. refill. The man room continues. Next. Introducing all new COVID Immune Boost Juice, the brand new carbonated sports drink for kids that says, cut it out, COVID. My immune system is boosted. Try all of our 10 exciting flavors, like Sarsberry. Sweet, tangy, and packed with enough hydroxychloroquine to clean your industrial fish tank. Or try social distance dairy, gluten-free, and made from all your favorite nut milks and cheeses. Your breath will surely keep people six feet away or more. COVID Immune Boost Juice Carbonated Sports Beverage for Kids. Hug your friends again. And now from the creators of COVID Immune Boost Juice Carbonated Sports Drink for Kids comes Quarantine Claw, the immune system boosting alcoholic beverage for consensually quarantined adults. It's 10% alcohol by volume, so if you're sick of being quarantined, just stop making memories and black out. Quarantine Claw, what f-ing day is it? Warning, these statements not evaluated by the FDA, the CDC, the WHO, Doctors Berks, Fauci, or Gupta, the AARP, NASA, the NBA, MLB, NFL, or the NFLPA.
1: Welcome to the Man Room.
0: Welcome back into the Man Room. Thanks for joining us tonight. Check out the podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can find us at our website, www.themanroompodcast.com. Email us. Always love to hear from you guys, uh, themanroompodcast at gmail.com. And uh, make sure to get subscribed to that RSS feed, so every time we release something, you can be right on top of it. Comedian Chris Castles joining me in the man room from Austin, Texas. Uh, Dude, once again, I'm so happy to to have you on here. It's been so good catching up with you already. I feel like I could talk to you for another four hours, but I'm not going to keep you that long. Um, I just, uh, dude, I'm so happy to hear that things are going as well for you as they seem to be other than the charges that we talked about. Um, I, I, look, here's, I wrote this down because I really believe it to be true. We talked about all these big comedians moving into Austin, Texas. We talked about how it's kind of like this, this transformation that's happening. Um, I think I, I really do feel it, like in my chest, that this is where your like this is where your career blows up. Like this is where you're starting to rub shoulders with some of those people that can really um, look at you and see the talent and actually have the connections to get you places. I think you deserve to be. Are you wanting to tour? Are you wanting to to start this and just be like a like a full time stand up comedian? Is that where you're headed?
1: You know, I was talking earlier about how when I moved here, I, I wanted to be a better comedian. But then, and filmmaker and all that stuff. But then I, I realized, oh, I need to become a better person, right? And uh, it all, it's all connected. But um, yeah, man, I've really, uh, i really, really, I've become a better show producer. There's definitely all the potential in the world for me to make money. I have been making money as a stand-up comedian. And um, also, man, I got some big stuff coming up, I know that you know that I work with Andy Andrist, um, uh-huh. but me and Andy and Doug Stanhope, uh, Paul Prevenza, we are all bringing Andy's um, first comedy special to light. So it is being shopped around right now. Really? And I, I am the producer of it. I produced it. I got dragged into it last October. We filmed it out at Doug's house. I was like he was, Andy was like touring and, and he was down here in Texas to practice for it. And he hadn't even invited me to the show. And I was like, all right, man, cool. Well, you know, come do some shows down here. I was, I booked him on, or I tried to book him on some things down here. And then, uh, he, he crashed in a tent in my backyard. And, um, and then like, I found out like Paul called me and he's like, fucking Andy. God damn it. He doesn't even fucking have a camera crew. Blah. And then Andy called me. He's like, Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to have a camera crew. Uh, if I've, if Doug said he's producing it, but he didn't tell me. blah. and I was like, Hey, yeah, you gotta fucking get a camera crew, dude. It's your special. <laughs> so a week before his special goes to shoot, I become the producer and hire the camera crew and then went out, uh, to Doug's place in Arizona. And then we filmed for two nights Christine Levine opened for him one night, and then Junior Stopka opened for him another night. And then uh, Paul directed, and he, Doug hosted. And uh, so we have that out, dude, it's cut. Uh, I learned all, the, the entire process of a film uh, from doing it, the, from the beginning, getting everyone together, the production, and then the ending the post, paying a color house. Paying the audio house. I mean, it's really expensive, by the way, to make a movie. Um, and the legal end. I have lawyers now. And that was a big thing about coming to Austin was that I wanted to meet people that had money, that produced films, that were cinematographers, directors, um, lawyers, uh, all these different people. And now I know those people. Um, the documentary with Andy is still like in the works. Oh, is it? Uh,
0: What's that? I didn't. So I, I had heard that that was going to happen, but then I had not heard anything else about it for for a while. So that's Dude, that's great. I
1: moved when, when I moved here. I moved here on the tail of that. I was like, okay, I filmed this documentary. We got this big director Paul Provenza to to agree to make the movie. And I thought, I was like, oh yeah, here I go. I'm going to go be a comedian, and then that movie will come out. I'll get fucking famous and get booked off of it, and I'm good to go. And that's really what I thought. And uh, I even drove to Doug's house on my way out of of, um, Oregon. I drove to Doug's house, stayed at his house for a week, and we filmed a bunch of interviews and stuff at Doug's house before I came to Texas. And then, So I stayed with Doug for a week, and then I came to Texas. And uh, so I was like, fuck yeah, dude. I got here. I'm like, I just stay with Doug Stanhope. Like, I'm going to be the shit. And then I came here and it's like, yeah, no one gives a fuck, dude. You're still (laughs) my comedian. And then I was like you. I was like, a a year went by and I was like, what's up with this movie? And I remember I got on the phone with Paul and Paul was like, well, we got to produce it. Someone has to pay. And I was like, I thought you'd do that but it turns out paul's a creative he's not a producer and so i then met a producer here learned how to raise money me and that person raised thirty thousand dollars wow for the film yeah i'd never done anything like that before um and then that person uh embezzled fifteen thousand dollars from the project shit of course. Of Project About Child Molestation, Christ, by the
0: way. <laughs> Jesus Christ, um, man.
1: Um, but then I got to... Uh, I learned so much, Marcus, because when I realized that that person was embezzling the money, I went to their lawyer. And I was like, hey, the lawyer on the project. I was like, hey... Because uh, they, they were friends. And I, I knew the lawyer, but we weren't like close. So I like—I wasn't sure how they'd respond. So I like called him and was like, hey, so been looking at the bank accounts, and I, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> some funny stuff here. And he goes, "How much did he take from you?"
0: And I was like, "What?" He just knew right off the bat that it would happen.
1: I go, "You knew that he was stealing," and he goes, "Oh yeah, he's a bad dude." And I go, "What? Why didn't you tell me?" And he goes, "Well, I didn't know you were doing business with him." And I go, "Uh, you're the lawyer on this film." <laughs> and he goes, "Damn, what?" And I go, and I go, yeah, your name's all over the paperwork. And he goes, it is. And the guy had just been like signing this dude's name.
0: Wow, dude. So is this guy cool in his heels in the clink yet? No, um,
1: I, I, um, it was all settled out of court. It, uh, I didn't get all the money back, but I got most of it back. And I'm technically, um, we're cool.
0: Good, good. Okay. Well, it's as long as it came to a solution that you're okay with. That's what matters, and yeah, you know there's I the mean, specifics of which a lot of times when those things quote settle out of court, the general public doesn't get to know the specifics, and that's just part of it. So you know, I yeah,
1: get that. I, I, I signed something. We signed something as the company that we wouldn't badmouth the person, and and that person helped me do a lot. I learned a lot um, from that person from other stuff that we did. And then also from that experience, I learned like a super lot. (laughs) And then also that lawyer became like my friend. And so now he helps with all my entertainment law. So another thing that I did here um, is there's a very funny comedian who lives here named Ty Win, And uh, he'd only been doing, he's a Vietnamese guy. Look him up. Ty Win, T-A-I-N-G-U-Y-E-N. Uh, you can look up his set on kill Tony, which he did like five years, five years ago. Okay. So funny. He crushed it. And, um, he wanted to do an hour special and he'd only been doing comedy for like two years, not even two years. And I was like, really? And he kept talking about it and talking about it. And then this other guy wanted me to do my hour special. And I was like, I don't I'm not Ready? So eventually the both, this guy's bugging me to do an hour. This guy wants to record his hour. I put them together and we ended up booking the Stateside Paramount, one of the biggest, uh, most prestigious venues here in Austin, right on Congress downtown in front of the Capitol building. We booked it and sold it out and filmed this guy's special who had only been doing standup for two years. And, um, he did a great job. I mean, can, you can tell it's a, a young comics special. Sure, but um, but uh, yeah, we we he got the cover. We sold it. I was just unprecedented. People are like, awesome. what the "Fuck!" <laughs> yeah, all, all these comics came out just to see if he was like. They were like, "All right, we're gonna go and see what the fuck happens." Because what? You we see you at open mics, and now you're like, they were like, "Who who asked you? Like, how did you get this opportunity?" And it's like, we just just did just, it. We just emailed the venue. Yeah. We're like how much does it cost to rent it? Um so so I'm I'm that special is coming out soon. Um and then a subsequent documentary about us doing that. That's because, great. So like I dude, I have like five films in in the process, like everything I came out here to do in Texas, I have done, except for, of course, go to jail. That wasn't one of my plans. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> but you did it anyway, so good good on you, man. <laughs>
1: so I don't mean to like just go on and on and on, but to bring it back to your point, um, yeah, I do feel like um, that I'm in a good position here in Austin um, and that blowing up or whatever, my coming into myself as a filmmaker and a comedian. Um, I think that I'm in a great position to do it. And that's not because of my surroundings. That is only going to increase my chances and abilities uh, and opportunities. But it's all because I've worked really hard, man, at mm-hmm. uh, wanting these things and doing it. And I've done all these things. And so, um, you know, I want to take the time to thank myself for mm-hmm. <laughs> for taking a chance on myself because it's been rough, man, uh, getting that guy embezzling money from me. Um, so many different things have happened. Uh, infighting, pissing. Dude, I came here and pissed in the pool. I pissed <laughs> every fucking cop off as soon as I showed up. I had like, I showed up and had all. Everyone was rooting for me. I was really well set up. And as soon as I showed up, I pissed off everyone. And I have been virtually a pariah to the old guard, the people that have been here and are established. There's a lot of people who will not fuck with me. And, um, I have no one to blame, but myself. But, uh, as a result of that, I've had to work extra hard to, to, uh, to keep, keep going, man. Cause I've had all the reasons, uh, to stop and quit. Cause yeah. I, I could have given up and I haven't, man. I, I'm still into it. And man, I fucking love it more than ever.
0: Great. And that's the inspiring part of it. somebody that's always been as passionate as you have for that stuff. I mean that why, when you brought up Andy Anders' documentary that you talked about that you were yeah. making, like you used to message us or, or me or you know, we would text back and forth and like, you would tell me specifics about that project that finally happened that you were waiting for And you would be so yeah. excited about, we got this interview or we finally nailed the, you know, down this person and uh, we figured yeah. out this or that or the other thing about the case, you know, and it was, you don't ever want to see that uh, fire die inside of a creative person. And, and it's great oh, to dear. see you still fostering it because um, that that was the best part of, uh, of of working with you was always like it didn't matter what we were working on, whether or not it was the best idea or something that was probably never worthy of being on film, which is most of the videos that we did during the radio show. Um, I would love
1: to see those, by the way.
0: There's there's a couple of them online uh, that you can get. Um, you got to search. You got to do a kind of a deep dive dive you know i have it written down here because i I wanted to say that one of our videos got ripped off and i don't know if if you know this do you watch the uh do you watch the show rick and morty at all yeah. Okay, well, I, I, and then I see the look no, on your face right I now. I
1: I know what Rick and Morty is. I've never actually watched it.
0: Okay, so um let's go back to when we were filming a Donk Tube episode and you were a witch doctor in our in our episode. And do you remember you had a staff that we had duct taped a, like a a rubber dildo to the top of it and that was like your staff?
1: And I was shirtless?
0: Yes, you were shirtless. Your hair was everywhere. And at one point in time, that. you chased somebody down the hall in slow motion with your with your staff that had a dildo on the end of it.
1: I do remember that.
0: Well, just recently here during the last uh, season of Rick and Morty, uh, Rick and Morty stumble upon a group of, of what they're called as slut dragons who've been exiled from their dragon community for being sluts. And uh, their leader packs around a staff with a dildo on the top of it. And every time he hits it on the ground and it jiggles on the top, it reminds me of you. Because that, we, had, we had like 13 minutes of outtakes of you just wiggling this dildo in like an aggressive way. And, and I'll tell you, man, it was comedy gold. We just didn't know it at the time.
1: Dang, Rick and Morty. I'm going to write that fucker.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that we probably got our video taken down because at the time when we were putting up YouTube videos, we didn't really understand copyright law. And since we were a radio station, we just used whatever music we wanted to. And that, <laughs> that just does not fly in the YouTube world. So, no, um, it does not. Lessons learned the hard way. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, we did a lot. You were an, You were an on-site sports reporter for us. At uh for one video uh where we were up on uh I think we went up like Spencer Butte or something like that, where people do drugs. Oh, and you I were, do remember that you remember that there was dogs barking at us, and we ended up having to make that like kind of a part of the of the show because they were barking in your audio almost the entire time. So we've had some fun out there. I'm sure you learned nothing that's helped you in an actual professional filmmaking career from those uh times, but no, damn it dude, they I were fun. I would say That's
1: very untrue. You know, I said it before. Well, I realized it now that we're talking because, you know, it's weird. We did. I, I would come in twice a week yep. and do the show. I would be there for a couple hours. I'd come in the, the latter half of the show. But what I dude, I didn't realize how much podcast practice I was getting because I ended up doing a podcast here for for a few years. I did a 100 episodes. Um, it was called good cock, bad cock. You can actually listen by the way, gcbcpod.com. I know it's not the greatest name, but whatever. Um, but I remember, or I know now like people, when I do podcasts, I realize, uh, how, um, uh, how skillful I am at doing the interviews and stuff, using the microphone, um, using my voice in the microphone. And I got so much practice from being on your show. Because, you know, people would listen, and uh, I would just, I would listen, I would get to hear my own voice, and then I'd be like, oh, this is how it sounds when I talk like this, or if I talk closer to the mic, or if I'm back. And also, you know, I was really trained, and I knew to, to not step on y'all's lines, or, um, you know, I would try and be the second or third banana, I guess. Uh, you know, like, I... I, I and be a contributor, and not trying to talk over anyone or whatever. I learned so much, man. And then doing those segments. I remember I did uh, choose your own adventure.
0: Yes, we Chris um, Castles choose your own adventure, where you would tell a, a story that happened in your life that was real, and then you would give three possible endings to it. Only one of them being the actual ending, and the callers would have to call up and choose right.
1: Dude, and I crushed people could never guess. I was so good at it. I got cuz my stories are insane and not believable. But that was really great writing practice. I mean, honestly, man, I learned a lot from being on that show and it for me it was like you know, I just comment, I just kind of hung out, you know, and then you know, watch as some guy would get farted on for Nickelback tickets or whatever. <laughs> no. And then I would always have something to talk about on the stage that night because it was always some bizarre shit like that.
0: Right, right. And, you know, as the, the thing about the donkey show always was the reason people liked it is because it's a lot like what you just said. I would just come hang out. And uh, it's a lot of what, what I want to bring to this podcast, too, is that um, those types of shows are good at making people feel like they're part of the conversation. And that's why people enjoyed the donkey show. That's why people enjoyed, um, you know, any number of different things that we did is it, a lot of the times we were just a group of dudes talking and we'd be you or we would have other comedians in that, you know, we all performed with and everything. And, and while we might be discussing world events or farting on stunt guys for for Nickelback tickets, it. there was always just a conversation that made you kind of feel like you were just hanging out with your buddies and that was always the best part about it.
1: Yeah. And also made me feel super cool because none of the other comedians got to do it.
0: (laughs) There was a handpicked group of you guys for sure. And guys that I really would like to have on this podcast, um, uh, you know, the few of them come right to the top of my mind, uh, Mike McGowan, Seth Milstein, Dylan Flynn and Mac Chase. Those guys were always around when we were doing the the open mic. They were always doing shows. Great comedians, better people, and um, I, I hope that uh, in due time we can get them on the man room as well because you know they're all doing they're all out there doing good things too. I mean, uh, I actually was fortunate enough to work not at the same company, but kind of alongside Mike in the uh, in the cannabis industry for the last Fuck five I years. Love
1: Mike McCown. Great, Love dude.
0: Great, dude. And uh, we actually I don't know if I told you this. The last time I was on stage was uh, in twenty nineteen in in uh, March. We organized a, a pot friendly stand up show where we had like we had uh, waitresses walking around with free joints on trays. We we rented out this space and uh, I hosted the show. We had Alex Adney. We had Seth Millstein, We had Mike McGowan and then Billy Wayne Davis flew in and headlined it.
1: And yeah, that's right. McGowan and Billy Wayne Davis are buddies.
0: Yes. And we got Billy Wayne Davis higher than fuck. I mean, that's I I put a bong on the stage because I'm the one that put on the show, I, I effectively produced and hosted it. And uh, I just thought, like, okay, well, it's a weed-friendly show. We're a weed company. Like, I might as well have a fresh bong with just all the weed that he can smoke sitting on the stage. And he got so high that eventually he forgot my name, and I was the host of the show. So it was something that was said quite frequently that night, but he just started calling me Eugene and asking me to load the bong. Hey, Eugene, can you load the bong? It's like, uh, he was he was great, dude. It was It was such a fun show. And you want to talk about a good room? Get 200 people stoned and let them sit there and watch comedy. I mean, it's they didn't catch everything, but it was still a pretty good crowd, you know?
1: And you can't really wait for the laughs. You have to wait for the coughs. That's when you know you're doing. (laughs) You're killing it. Oh, shit. That guy fucking hawked up a lung. I must... That's a good one. Must
0: have killed it, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, I've performed out in um, Denver a few times. Out in Colorado a few times since I've been down here, and it's the same deal. Like... Man, they know it out there. They're like, all right, some comics in from out of town. One of these shows, they're going to eat shit because they're going to be too fucking high. (laughs) And sure as fuck, man, like several shows where I'm like, okay, those edibles finally caught up with me. And now I'm terrified to be (laughs) on stage. But man, Billy Wayne Davis, that guy is so fucking nice because I performed with him in Houston. And uh, I ate shit on the rooftop of this bar called um called the secret group in houston and he was still fucking nice to me afterward even invited me he said if you're ever out in la man come come get high play video games and i was like yeah i'm not gonna fucking feel comfortable hitting you up but okay bud thank you (laughs) Uh, he's so funny dude billy wayne davis is a fucking gem of a human being very funny
0: and 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 super humble, too. Like, you would not know if you yeah. just ran into this dude that he was well-known for anything at all. He does not carry himself like a any type of celebrity and um, was super gracious. I mean, it's like, yeah, we paid him to come out there and we, you know, paid for his plane tickets and lodging and everything, but at the end, we were doing yeah. the whole thing for charity. We weren't trying to make any money on it, so it yeah. was like to have him be as as gracious as he was and thankful for us bringing him out there as he was was like just made the whole thing better because we got we got to bring this dude to kind of a unique event get him really really high and see how it goes and it ended up going great i mean he was supposed to do 45 minutes and i think he did like an hour and a half you know as as we will do we got him some we got him some really heavy indica up there and just kind of slowed the pace down you know <laughs> Oh, damn it! Uh, but it was a lot Dude. of fun, man. And it made me itch so bad. You know, that's the other, another reason I'm even starting a podcast is I haven't been able to get back into radio and the comedy scene here is bumpkiss right now because of COVID. So this is a way to kind of scratch my itch too. You know, this is what I should be doing. I've, I've felt that my entire life. But, um, you know, right now I can't get a job because I don't have tits. Like the, the, the place that I should be working for and the show that I absolutely should be working for. Um, they're looking for a female and that's it. They don't care about the chemistry. They don't care about the, the things you've done in the past. And so, um, it's just, you know, it's all about clicks anymore. And I figured why not try to do this without a huge corporation over my head telling me what I can and can't say and what, who I should and should talk or shouldn't, shouldn't talk to. Um, and, and you know, that, that way it just kind of, it frees me up. Let's say it's just a hobby for the rest of my life. Fuck it. It's a fun hobby. If you can actually make a buck off of it, that'll be cool too. So
1: that would be cool.
0: Yeah, so uh, it's it's the man room podcast, dude. You've done it now. You've 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 got the feeling inside your bones. What do you think,
1: dude? Yeah, man. I mean, as a you know Texan outlaw, I say I approve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down with some man shit. I better get down with some man shit. I might be in prison. Damn.
0: Oh damn. Well, everyone is welcome in the man room. We do not discriminate on gender. Um, in fact, to tell you the truth, this man room's Really only ever sees my wife. She's the only woman that's ever been in <laughs> it. So uh, we could use a female guest or two. I would love at some point in time to get to talk to Christine Levine again. She was, uh, She's a great comedian, was one of the first people along with yourself and Andy Andrus that I ever performed with. And um, I know she's still I see her name pop up on Andy Andrus's page every now and then. I know she's still out doing comedy. Do you get to perform with her uh, anymore? No.
1: No, I did, get, I did get to see her, like I said, last October at Doug's house. And then um, she did my podcast, which I did not air. I have not aired her episode. By the way, my podcast isn't about cops. It's good cock, bad cock.
0: Yeah, so it's not going to be telling stories about uh, run-ins with the law. It's more going to be telling stories about run-ins with other people's genitals, right? Yeah,
1: that's exactly what it's about. <laughs> but I, I, I interviewed her for the podcast. I Man, we had a great time. We, you know... Christine Levine and I kind of were on and off with each other a little bit as I knew her, but uh, I really got to hang out with her and talk to her when I was in Bisbee, and uh, man, she's just the fucking sweetest man. She said such fucking nice things to me, and made me, oh man, she's just so sweet, and um, yeah, I don't see why she wouldn't do your podcast.
0: Yeah, it, well, she's not going to remember me at all. I mean, I was I was literally nothing when she performed with me. But it that reason that you just mentioned right there is one of the things. She said some nice things to me that night after, you oh, know, nice. probably the worst set that I will have ever done in my life, I hope, anyway. And, yeah, she was super nice about it. Um, and, you know, Andrist was, too, and you. I mean, like I said, there's a reason that this whole stand-up comedy thing has kind of stuck with me, even though I've been really bad at actually doing it. Uh, for the past five years, but well, now
1: you can't even, what dude, it's like super lockdown in Oregon, right?
0: Oh yeah. It's stupid, but you also kind of hope, I mean, look, I hope at the same time, I hope that this is not the case, but you kind of hope that maybe the lockdowns were being used as a political pawn. And so maybe we can get the fuck past those and start opening up this world again. Um, I, that's pretty tinfoil hat of me for someone that, yeah, I have a political science degree. I never learned anything about it. It was just the quickest way to graduate (laughs) college. (laughs) yeah
1: i mean well you know the thing about opinions that i've learned is that they're mostly for ourselves to construct some kind of reality that we can that we can uh live with and make sense of all the chaos so i found that it's not that helpful to share my opinion but i will say uh that i don't think things are going to um are going to change that much man not this year i don't think it's just about that last election I, i do think that uh That uh, this has there's a lot of intention behind this, that uh, is not meets the eye, and um, uh, things are definitely not going to be the way they were. And unfortunately, is I don't I hate to be a doomsayer, but I don't think this lockdown shit's going to be over, dude. If it's not COVID one, it's going to be you know the new baby killing strain, and then this summer coronavirus Tokyo drift, (laughs) and uh, they're just going to keep fucking. Uh, hitting us with this man and so I'm glad I live in Texas where uh, they act like none of that's happening
0: yeah the land of the free right the free to catch COVID if you want it
1: America's America baby
0: (laughs) Chris Castles (laughs) thank you so much dude I want to give you a chance I know we've already talked about the movies but we're going to wrap up here is there anything that you got coming up comedy wise that you want to plug on the podcast before we get out of here
1: I am very excited if you're watching this um And it might be out. Uh, Please check out Andy Andrus comedy special. When it hits, it's going to be, it's fucking great, dude. It's so fucking funny. He's it's Andy at his his prime.
0: He, and sorry to step on you there, but he's always, if you, if you haven't, heard of Andy Andrist at this point, do yourself a favor and like plug him in as a Pandora channel or something like that, where it'll bring up a lot of his stuff or just go, vi- just go get it on YouTube because the dudes he's, he's great. And the fact that he's not more popular than what he is blows me away. Every time I hear him do a set.
1: Well, also I've seen, I've heard him do sets where I'm like, Oh, no wonder no one knows who you are. Uh, <laughs> no, no, but so uh, go watch I, the special, I everybody. fucking love Andy and he, he you know, Uh, Yeah, so I'm plugging my stuff. Check out Andy Andrus. This new special is just fucking fire. And I'm really excited to get to to have been a part of it. And uh, yeah, so that's like my big thing. You can listen to my old podcast, GCBCpod.com. I haven't done anything new, but it's super great. I interviewed my mom about her sexuality. If you want something super awkward. Um, And um, let's see, what else? If you're in Texas, I do a open mic every uh monday at the little woodrows at south park meadows um and i have for over four years now um it's super fun it's called the slaughterhouse and um it's it's brutal so if you know someone who thinks they're funny they're probably not and it's a great way to embarrass the shit out of them so bring <laughs> invite all their friends and family and co-workers and uh watch them get eviscerated uh otherwise yeah man i'm here hit me up y'all
0: we will we will for sure dude chris castles uh thanks again dude for joining me so pumped to get uh to catch up with you and to know that uh you're on the other end down there in austin smiling still and uh we're we're pulling for you here at the man room for that case to uh get yourself a lawyer that can eat that case and uh you know stay stay up dude
1: thank you so much marcus thank you for hitting me up man this is a lot of fun man and uh yeah, I'm excited to see what you where you go with this.
0: Awesome. We'll do it again soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks. For listening. And and transmission.